All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. As we continue our study of Luke's Gospel, we are approaching the end. And in this session, we're going to be looking at Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. And we come to really a fascinating and fun little story that's recorded only in Luke's Gospel. This is the story of two disciples of Jesus meeting Jesus on the road to Emmaus on Resurrection Sunday. As I said, this story is told only here in Luke, and it may be, at least some scholars speculate that, as Luke researched his gospel, see the very beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke 1, 1 through 4, as he researched it, Luke may have gotten this story directly from the source, and that's why it's recorded only here, and that's why this individual, whom we know nothing else about, is named in this story. Let's be sure to set up the context before we look at the details of this story. It's later in the day on Resurrection Sunday. The women had been to the tomb at sunup. They had returned to where Jesus' followers were gathered. They have told them all about uh, what they experienced at the tomb with the angels. Peter and John, as we know from John's gospel, ran out to the tomb to check out their story and according to the other Gospels, there have been other isolated encounters with Jesus during the day. Well, now it's later in that day, and two of the others who were there when the women reported what they had experienced that morning were walking to a village called Emmaus. And while they were walking, the resurrected Jesus joins them and leads them in a Bible study. Here's what happens. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And behold, on that very day, meaning Resurrection Sunday, two of them, that is, two who were part of the others who were with the eleven when the women came and reported what they experienced. So, on that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, which was 60 stadia from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. We'll get the names of one of them in a second. But for now, it's just two of them. And we don't know exactly where Emmaus was. The Jewish historian Josephus refers to a village named Amaus, which is only 30 stadia from Jerusalem. So if that's the same place that Luke mentions here, then Luke's 60 stadia would be the round trip distance, which would make sense because he's going to refer to them going there and then coming back to Jerusalem. Or it could be that Luke is referring to another village that we're not sure about. We just don't know 100%. But 60 stadia is roughly seven miles. And so if that's round trip, then it's three and a half miles out, three and a half miles back. If that's a village we're not sure of, then it's about seven miles away and seven miles back. It's a decent little bit, but not too far. So this couple, perhaps a couple of friends, perhaps a husband and wife, we're not sure, are walking to this village of Emmaus, and they're processing and talking about the last 50 hours, Jesus' brutal death and how that was just so gut-wrenching, and then the hard, empty, cold sorrowful Sabbath, and then the events of that morning, and the women, and then Peter running out to the tomb. And so they are talking about all these things as they're walking along the road. Luke continues in verse 15 and says, while they were talking and discussing, 
Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they're on the road and they're talking and discussing or literally talking and debating about everything that's happened. And so they're walking along and they can't put it together and they're debating about, man, his death and what the women said and Peter and the empty tomb and what does all this mean? And I'm so confused and they they can't put it all together. And in some sense, they aren't able to recognize the resurrected Jesus when he appears to them on the road. Is it, is it some sort of supernatural not recognizing him? Doesn't seem like it in the way the story unfolds. It seems that um, because they can't grasp what's happened in the last few days, and because they don't understand how Jesus could possibly still be the Messiah in view of what's happened in the last few days, it seems like they don't have spiritual eyes to recognize the risen Jesus. That seems like what's going on here. So Jesus joins them on the road and joins into their discussion and actually sets them up for a pretty profound and powerful teachable moment. Verse 17, and he, that is Jesus, said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? They came to a stop looking sad. So Jesus comes up uh, on the road, approaches them and asks them this question. When he asks it, they just stop and look at him. And what fills their face is just sadness. And so the report of the women And even the report of Peter and John, who went and checked out uh, the tomb, and they'll mention that here, they know about that, still hasn't triggered faith in them yet. They still don't understand, and so they're still dealing with their grief and their sorrow. And so Jesus asked us questions, and their uh, their face was marked by sadness. Then verse 18, they continue on, and this is what they say to Jesus. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you possibly the only one living near Jerusalem who doesn't know about the things that happened here in these days? Now, we know nothing else about Cleopas. He's only mentioned here, and some speculate that he was maybe Luke's source for this story. When Luke was doing his research, as Luke noted in Luke 1, 1 through 4, and that's the reason Luke singles him out here. We don't know for sure, but Cleopas is surprised that this traveler who now has just joined them on the road doesn't know what's happened this year at Passover. How could he be so out of touch? And Jesus plays along. So verse 19, he said to them, what sort of things? And they said to him, those things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who proved to be a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him. And so Cleopas and his companion believe that Jesus was a prophet, a prophet mighty in deed and in word in the sight of God and all the people. They've seen his miracles. His teaching was rich and powerful. To him, he clearly was a prophet. But he was so much more than that, and they haven't quite seen that yet, and they don't uh, quite really have it figured out, and they don't seem to be able to recall or remember his words about his coming suffering and death and resurrection. He had told them this was going to happen, but for some reason, 
that little hermeneutical key is lost on them and they can't quite figure it all out. And so they continue telling Jesus on the road what they were hoping would happen. Verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And so they confess their hope that we were really hoping he was the one that God was going to send who would redeem us from uh, our oppression of by the Romans and foreign occupation, redeem us perhaps even in the sense of our sins, because as faithful Jews, they had this sense that they were still suffering the curse of exile from uh, their disobedience as a people to the covenant. And so they're trying to be faithful as they wait for the Redeemer, and they were hoping that Jesus would be him. But then he he went and was crucified. And, and then they say, indeed, besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. And so now, now it's been like the third day, and it's like, what does all this mean, and what's really going on? And, and so they recount to him the events of earlier in the day, verse 22. But also some women among us left us bewildered. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and they didn't find his body, they came saying they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And so some of those who were with us went to the tomb. They found it exactly as the women had said, but him they didn't see. So this is all the stuff they've been wrestling with and debating and chewing on and processing as they're walking on the road together from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they just can't put it all together. What does all this mean? And crucifixion, the scriptures, redeeming Israel, and yet what the women said, and some of those, Peter and John, who went and checked out the tomb. And Man, what does all this mean? And so now Jesus will show them from the scriptures how it all fits together and how it all points to him and who he is. So verse 25, and then he, Jesus, said to them, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Notice Jesus describes them as foolish and slow of heart. And these words describe not an intellectual problem, but a heart problem and a faith problem. The heart in biblical language is the control center of the person. And their heart, Jesus says, isn't working properly. They're slow of heart to believe. They're foolish. The the foolishness has to do with kind of... uh, Yes, an understanding issue, but sometimes an understanding issue born of a lack of faith. And that seems to be the issue here. They haven't fully centered themselves around Jesus' teaching and what Jesus had said and what Jesus even said was going to happen to him. And as a result, they failed to believe. Notice that. They failed to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. They're Jews. They know the scriptures. They know the prophets. And yet, They're not believing the prophets because their heart isn't working properly. Specifically, they should have seen and believed that Jesus' suffering didn't go against what the prophets said would happen to the Messiah, but actually fulfilled them. And so Jesus goes on in verse 26 and says, Was it not necessary for the Christ, that is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was going to redeem Israel, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? And so Jesus is trying to help him see that, look, the suffering of the Messiah is there. It's in the scriptures. You can read about it. It was necessary. If you read the prophets properly, you would have seen 
this and understood this. And so Jesus then goes ahead and shows them the proper way to read their scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. Verse 27, he says, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. And so Jesus leads them on a Bible study from Moses, that is the writings of Moses, that is the first five books of the Old Testament, and with all the prophets, all the other Jewish writings that um, were considered part of the prophets. The Hebrew Bible is broken up. It's called the Tanakh, so Torah, writings of Moses. Nevi'im is the prophets, and then Ketuvim, the writings. So T in K, you put the vowels ah, and you get Tanakh. That's the Tanakh, right? And so beginning with the Torah and the Nevi'im, the writings of Moses and the prophets, the, the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus began explaining to them all the things about himself in the scriptures. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus began his ministry by citing scripture and explaining how it was fulfilled in him. That's Luke chapter 4. And Jesus ends his ministry here by explaining the scriptures and how they all point to him. And this reminds us that one of the main keys to understanding Jesus and what Jesus is about is reading the scriptures well, including the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Reading them the way Jesus did is pointing to and culminating in himself, and that includes his suffering. And so Jesus leads them on this Bible study as they walk along the way to Emmaus in verse 28, and they approached the village where they were going, and he, Jesus, gave the impression that he was going to go on further. And so they're going into the village, and Jesus is like, I'm going to keep walking down the road. In verse 29, they strongly urged him, saying, stay with us. For it's getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over, and so he went in to stay with them. And so it's later in the day. Uh, evening would have been what we call in uh, our language afternoon, because the days ended at six in the evening and started, you know, so six to six, six to six. And so three to six was sort of evening time, right? Late afternoon. And so it's getting towards evening. In other words, we're, we're in the afternoon here um, and the day is nearly over and they urge him to stay with them. Um, and Jesus does. And so he went in to stay with them. And as one scholar noted, only those who desire Jesus's company will come to a further realization of his identity. And that's what happens to these two here now in Emmaus, verse 30. And it came about when he reclined at table with them. And so he goes with them. He goes into their house. They've prepared some food. They have some bread and food for their afternoon meal. And Jesus reclines at table with them that he took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it and began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Jesus, in this moment, assumes the role of host. He's the guest, but he assumes the role of host. And he takes the bread, and he breaks it, and he prays for it and blesses it. And in some ways, this recalls the breaking of bread that Jesus did and the blessing that he gave over the bread at the Passover meal, the Last Supper, just a few days before. 
And a lot of the language also recalls the story of the bread Jesus broke when he fed the 5,000. There Jesus broke the bread and blessed it as well. And in the feeding of the 5,000, in the, the way Luke tells that story, the breaking of bread in some sense revealed his identity. And that's what happens here as Jesus breaks this bread. They see him and they recognize him in this moment. And so somehow when Jesus breaks the bread, their spiritual eyes are open and they see who their visitor is. They recognize him in that moment. And I can imagine the all of a sudden sense of astonishment and excitement and joy. And then Jesus just vanishes. He disappears. And we'll see this in other resurrection appearances as well as you read other gospels. Uh, that Jesus' body is physical, it's solid, he can be touched, he can eat, right? He's not, a, he's not a spirit, he's not a ghost, it's a physical body, but his resurrection body is also somehow different. It's operating according to a different set of physics because he can appear behind locked doors, as in John chapter 20, and he can disappear at will, as happens here. And so they all of a sudden see who Jesus is, And then he vanishes from their sight. And so, verse 32, they said to one another, were our hearts not burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And so, uh, at the beginning of this story, their hearts were so slow to believe. But as Jesus taught them and led them through the scriptures, they say, our hearts were burning in that moment. And now, here in the breaking of bread, they see and recognize and believe and understand all that the prophets had said about the Messiah. And so, verse 33, they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and those who were with him, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And so they returned back to Jerusalem, either seven miles or three and a half miles, Uh, And they shared the news with the 11, the 11 apostles, and the other disciples who were gathered with them. And those who were there shared how Jesus had appeared to Simon and uh, saying, he really has risen from the dead. The women that told us what happened this morning, they weren't crazy. Here's what happened to Simon. And then Cleopas and his companion shared their story as well and how they had this visitor on the road and they told the whole story and how he was recognized in the breaking of the bread. That line seems intentional in Luke's writings, particularly in view of how significant breaking of bread will be for the early church, as seen in Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, and how the breaking of bread becomes this commemorative meal together where they take the bread and they take the wine and they remember Jesus. And Here, that's what happened for these two on the road to Emmaus, where they recognized him in that moment. Now, as we wrap up this story, let me just offer a brief reflection. Two things converge here that I think are crucial for us as followers of Jesus. And those two things are this, the witness of the scriptures and the experience of Jesus alive and with us. Jesus joined Cleopas and his friend on the road, and they failed to see him until Jesus began to show them from the scriptures who he was, what the scriptures said, and then that culminated with him actually being with him in the breaking of bread, and all of a sudden, once they experienced him in that way, their eyes were open. 
And I think Luke is actually pointing out an important lesson for us that experience devoid of scripture isn't enough. It can leave us confused and slow of heart. And yet scripture without the living presence of Jesus isn't enough either. Both together are necessary for following of Jesus. That's what happens in this story. And I think Luke wants us to see that, that what we need as followers of Jesus is we need the scriptures to give us a full context and a full understanding of who Jesus is, but we need that joined with the living presence of Jesus himself in our life so that now we see him and we recognize him and we gladly follow him and walk with him as his followers and his disciples.